Hey, do you like weird movies? You do? Have you heard of Vinegar Syndrome? Find them online at www.vinegarsyndrome.com. Vinegar Syndrome is one of the leading exploitation and grindhouse preservation and distribution companies in the world. They've got a simple three-step process that I call the three R's. Recover, restore, and release. Vinegar Syndrome has an amazingly large film archive consisting of thousands of 35 and 16 millimeter negatives and prints and are actively finding films that are underappreciated, undervalued, and underseen. So many of their releases have never seen the light of day since VHS, and they're restoring them to all their glory. Some of these films do not have the right to look as good as they do, but they do. I'm looking at you, corpse grinders. Vinegar Syndrome has their own method of restoration where their goal is to recreate the theatrical experience as best as they can. With their own in-house lab, they scan, color grade, and restore each title personally. You'll never see any grain reduction and digital trickery on their discs. Vinegar Syndrome is a very exciting label, and we're proud to have them as a sponsor. They've been with us since the beginning, and we love them for it. Check out their website today and pick up your copies of Rudy Ray Moore's Dolomite films, just in time for the new Netflix movie Dolomite Is My Name, starring Eddie Murphy. Also available is Hell Comes to Frogtown, starring Rowdy Rowdy Piper, James Hong's The Vineyard, Pledge Night, Lust in the Dust, starring Divine, Putney Swope, The Amityville Cursed Collection, and much, much more. Also, don't forget to pre-order your copy of Tammy and the T-Rex in glorious 4K Ultra High Definition, or Blu-ray, and The oh, Angel shit. Collection. Once again, be sure to visit them at www.vinegarsyndrome.com and grab yourself something cool. Let them know your good friend Michael sent you. Today's episode of The Shameless Picture Show is sponsored by Mill Creek Entertainment. Mill Creek is the industry leader when it comes to value price DVD and Blu-ray features and compilations. They have one of the largest catalogs out there, ranging from kids programming, classic films and television, independent cinema, documentary, and Latino cinema. Hell, they even produce their own content in-house. Mill Creek is a trusted partner with some of our favorite studios, including Sony Pictures, Walt Disney Entertainment, Warner Brothers, CBS Home Entertainment, and many more. And the best part about Mill Creek is how easy they are to find. Mill Creek has deals with thousands of big box stores, grocery stores, drug stores, and practically any other retailer you can imagine. Trust me when I say I've owned plenty throughout my time as a collector without even realizing it. They're a name I can trust. Some of my favorite releases include Can't Hardly Wait, Night of the Living Dead, House on Haunted Hill from their Vincent Price collection, the complete series of Quantum Leap, the complete series of The Secret World of Alex Mack, and of course, you're the hunter from the future. Head over to www.milkcreekent.com. That's milkcreekent.com and see what their collection has to offer. I guarantee you'll find something great. Discusses movies. 
Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements, endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm Michael. This is a weird introduction to the show. This is not normally how I do it. Normally it's hello and welcome to another bonus episode of the Shameless Picture Show. Um, but I didn't do it that way for some reason. Whatever. Um, as you know, um, well, I guess I can't really say that because I don't know when I'm recording this. When I'm recording this, me and Nick are actually on our season three end of season three break um but you know i still get stuff in from sponsors and i want to talk about it so i'm recording it when this is coming out couldn't tell you when i'm going to edit it couldn't tell you but at least it's recorded it's in the can and everything is fresh in my mind which is the important part i learned early on doing this show that if i wait too long to to review a, a TV show or a movie or something like that, I often forget what happened. And I don't like coming in blind. And it happens sometimes where I've just watched a movie and it's like, I couldn't tell you what the fuck happened. But, you know, so for posterity, I'm going to record these things when they're fresh in my mind. And whether this is going to go um, at the end of an existing episode or if it's going to be its own thing is yet to be seen um depending on when you're listening to this our patreon might already be published so if it is and you like what we do throw us a couple bucks i'm not expecting anything much you know whatever you can spare i get it times are tough i just want to be able to take care of the overhead on the show like hosting the podcast and things like that without having to pay for it out of my own pocket. But if I have to, I have to. I've done it for three years. It's whatever. I do this show because I like doing this show. Nick does this show because he likes doing this show. No one's making us. There's not a person with a gun to my head. Or if they are, they're probably going to shoot me. That was a dumb joke. I'm playing with the idea that this is audio and you can't see what's going on in the room. You know... But it's just me sitting here with two or three of my dogs laying around. It's still Christmas, or right before Christmas when I recorded this. So I've got my our youngest pup in a reindeer sweater that's got jingle bells on it because it's adorable. So if you hear some uh, jingle jangling around, uh, it's just my puppy. So I've got a couple. I've got quite a bit to talk about today. Um, I've got one release from my friends over at Vinegar Syndrome. That sounds the sound of Ralphie walking from one bed to another. Uh, So I got one release from Vinegar Syndrome, and then I've got a whopping three releases from Milk Creek. Um, It's actually, it's three seasons of Ultraman. Two of them are going to lump together because they're continuations, but we'll we'll talk about that in a minute. So first off, from my friends at Vinegar Syndrome, which, by the way, if you did not take advantage of their Black Friday sale, shame on you. Almost everything on that website was half off. Uh, they were doing Tam and the T-Rex in both Blu-ray and stunning high-definition Dolby Vision 4K Ultra UHD. Um, so you should have bought something. Buy some. Buy buy a Western. Buy a horror movie. Buy some porn. Buy something. Support the people you love. 
And I, I see the numbers on these vinegar syndrome episodes. Y'all love vinegar syndrome. I love vinegar syndrome. So the first movie I have is one they just sent me. It was from uh, was one of their October releases, I believe. I'm, I'm a little behind, but I got it late. I got it when I got my um, Black Friday release. It's called Unmasked Part 25. I think it's also known as The Hand of Death. Back of the box says Jackson, played by Gregory Cox, is your run-of-the-mill, hockey-mask-wearing, psychotic killer. Hideously deformed, he spends his time stalking and brutally murdering oversexed young people in a variety of nasty methods. But then he meets Shelley, played by Fiona Evans, a young blind woman who appreciates him as a person. And it also helps that she can't see the carnage he leaves at every turn. Finding himself falling in love for the first time, Jackson decides that it might be time to finally hang up his cutlery and settle into a happy life of domestic bliss. But can he really become his but can he really overcome his bloodthirsty impulses? A biting horror comedy from director Anders Palm and producer Mark Cutforth, Unmasked Part 25, aka The Hand of Death, cleverly plays off of every 80s horror cliche, along with satirizing a number of indie film tropes for good measure while reveling in some of the most gruesome gore effects, which can be found in post-nasties British... Wait. While reveling in some of the most gruesome gore effects, which can be found in a post-nasties British-made film. Uh, when they say post-nasties, they mean the video nasties of the 80s, when there was a, a, a whole list of banned films because of violence. Um, Vinegar Syndrome is proud to rescue this underseen cult classic and bring it to Blu-ray for the first time. Um, so the film was made in 1988, 88 minutes, color, 1661, widescreen, DTS, HD, mono, SDH, subtitles, and all regions. This is amazing. Don't tell me. You're that guy in that movie, aren't you? Precisely. And after 25 sequels, he's ready to swing out on his own. Jackson's through with special effects. Now he wants the real thing. It's a regular nightmare on Carnaby Street as Jackson goes after every new wave yuppie London underground party-going poser in town. Jackson's career is stuck in a rut, and he just can't seem to get out of character. You're a psychopathic killer. Half human, half killer. I'm a freak. A freak. Learn to live with it. It's an outrageous movie within a movie within a movie. Just your typical love story. Boy's about to stab girl. Boy meets girl. Boy gets girl. You came after all. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be rude or anything. It's just that it's late. I didn't expect you to show up. My name is Shelley. Don't be shy. Come on now. I want to know everything about you. Everything? Let me enlighten you. I'm a monster. A monster? I watched my little son grow up. He didn't take long to see what you were. Back, you baffled fiends. The hand of death is on me. Not yours. It's over. My dull eyes can fix enough. But all things swim around me. And the earth heaves as were beneath me. Wonderful. You know, it's not often I meet a man with such an appreciation for literature. 
It's not often that I meet a woman. You know, Shelley, before I met you, I was terribly lonely. I had no one. Everything's different now. I don't know what it is, but I feel certain that one day, life's going to be just perfect for us. Did you like that? Perhaps you're scared of me. Would you like to be Mama's slave? Well, answer me, little boy. Would you put that woman through this hell? Would you create another offspring like yourself? No! Pregnant. I'm going to have a baby. Our baby. No! Please. Forgive me. It's a hell of a life being a monster. And it's a hell of a movie being a parody of every slash trash gore fest of the last decade. Hand of Death Part 25. It's more fun than a barrel of body parts. Uh, Unmasked 25, I, I liked quite more than I... Well, I couldn't say quite more than I thought it was. I, I'm a sucker for any um, Friday the 13th ripoff film. And um, so it, this film, in a way, was kind of made to be like a Friday the 13th knockoff where, or even just a, a sequel uh, because Jackson, who's filling in for Jason in this film, um, he talks about, uh, he has this great monologue in the middle of the film where he talks about um, his time at summer camp and how he drowned in summer camp and then having to watch his mother be murdered. He, it's, it's, it's great for that reason. This film is interesting because it has a lot of... It, it reminds me in some ways of a couple things. One, it reminds me of the Toxic Avenger. It reminds me of Tromeo and Juliet, and I'll explain why in a second. And then it also reminds me of uh, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, that indie film that came out... Um, I want to say 2007, 2004, around that time, about a, a killer trying to make his mark. And this is rather funny because it's very self-aware and meta. Um, so the in the film, um, it's the title that comes up is the hand, the hand of Death. And with that, uh, apparently in this world, a series of films called The Hand of Death is the is their Friday the Thirteenth type ripoff. Um, and uh, Jackson, who's just kind of lost his his lust for life in this, is um, you know just getting bored. He's 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 wondering what the point of it is. Like, why do we have so many sequels for this franchise? How can killing teenagers still be fun? So, like, the opening of the film is pretty generic slasher film where he's hunting off all of these these mods and punks that hang out at this rundown house and they're having sex and drinking and he's just killing them off and he dispatches them all really fast. And the one woman he doesn't is this woman Shelley who's blind she can just hear his voice and they get to know each other and they start talking and she starts seeing and she asks if he wants to come to her house and he said yes and he's probably planning to kill her but then realizes that she never judges him and even though he's deformed she, uh she it doesn't bother her and he starts letting his guard down and realizing hey he could be happy outside of this outside of this life of killing but what makes it great is every actor in the movie 
that's uh and i don't know if it's an intentional thing if it's acting style or what it is i love that almost everyone speaks as if they're in a shakespearean play so it asks these two goofy questions one can jason Voorhees fall in love and two, what happens if you make a slasher film with Shakespearean actors? Because every time there's a speech of some sort, whether it be Jackson professing his love to Shelley or Jackson and his father arguing about his place in life and his, and his life killing, it's all performed with the fervor of Shakespearean work. It's kind of, it's kind of fantastic for that reason. Um, uh, so yeah, it was, it was a movie that I watched with my wife Amanda, and we both really enjoyed. If you're if you're a sucker for spoofs, satire, or slasher films, I think it's a must own. Um, I want I don't know I'm I'm in the personal belief that any slasher film is a good slasher film, even if it's terrible, because there are some terrible ones, but I still always enjoy them. Um, so this was a lot of fun, and um, uh, it was delightfully English. So I'd say check it out, Unmasked Part Twenty Five, aka The Hand of Death. Special features include. The fact that it was newly scanned and restored in 2K from its 35mm internegative. It's got an audio commentary with Anders Palm, moderated with film by film journalist David Flint. But it almost feels like, you know, it's a little ahead of its time in the sense that you're, you know, you're mixing very serious moments and very comedic yeah, moments. Yeah, exactly. And I guess when I think of 80s horror comedy, it's all... It's all comedy. Yeah. There, there are no serious moments in there. Or no. it's all horror, <laughs> You know, you, so you're doing a weird mix. It's a very weird mix. But we had this idea that we said it would be interesting if the, the monster, you can call this guy a monster, if he actually is a really struck with pain and moral issues, you know, and uh, he just can't get out of it. And uh, it was just because a lot of these uh, monsters, they, they never utter a word through the whole uh, movie. They just run around killing people. And we found that a bit boring, you know. Mm. So, so sequences like this, you know, you were yeah. shooting, I guess, just shooting on the street. The passersby were oh yeah, yeah, we did. genuine passersby. Yeah, yeah, nobody signed the release form there. I can guarantee you that. But kind of interesting as well that he can walk down the street dressed like that, and yeah. they'll just walk past him and not yeah. stop those, and look. Those guys there were truly a little bit mesmerized by his hockey man. Most people don't care, which was great. Yeah, it's got an audio commentary with writer slash producer Mark. Cutforth, moderated by Peter Koplowski and Justin Duclos of Laser Blast Film Society, Stills Gallery, original trailer, reversible cover artwork, and English subtitles. So, directed by Anders Palm, starring Gregory Cox, Fiona Evans, Edward Brayshaw, and Debbie Lee London. That's kind of great that an English actor's last name is London. Was like, was that intentional? Are there really uh, people from London who have the last name London? That's kind of great. Um, so that's my release from Vinegar Syndrome. And now we're going to be talking about Ultraman. Um, I guess I'll talk about them in order of release. So first off, I have... So Mill Creek, I guess, like I said, 2019 has been the year of the kaiju. So we got the amazing, which I, I call it amazing because I've seen pictures of it, but I don't own it yet myself. The amazing Godzilla collection from Criterion, which has got the... Uh, Things to show era, Godzilla films. It's got the first like seventeen Godzilla films on them, all completely restored with beautiful artwork and special features and the whole nine yards, like Criterion does. On top of that, Mill Creek released the Mothra film in a special edition steelbook, and then they've. Uh, I think by by the time 
all was said and done, they would have released maybe seven seasons of Ultraman. Uh, the first four, and then two, uh, two or th- maybe two or three of the contemporary seasons. Uh, so thus far in the show, I've reviewed Ultra Q, which I loved. Ultraman, which I liked. Well, I love it as well, but I, I lean towards, a little more towards Ultra Q. And then now we have the third series of the Ultraman franchise. Ultraman colon Ultra 7. A powerful fighter defends Earth from invasion. Back of the box says the seventh member of the Ultra Guard. As an interstellar war... Sorry. As an interstellar war of invasion spreads across the universe, a scout from the Land of Light, Nebula M78, comes to Earth on a mission of peace. After witnessing a heroic act of self-sacrifice by a young Earthman, the alien is inspired to protect the planet and its people from those who would do it harm. He adopts the human identity of... I don't know if it's Dan or Don. Dan... It's spelt Dan, but Don Moroboshi, Moroboshi, Don Moroboshi, and joins the Ultra Guard, an elite unit tasked with defending the Earth from alien invaders, as the team's newest member, the giant hero Ultra Seven. Seven, seven. Sorry, that's actually how the theme song goes. It's really annoying. <clears throat> the third entry in Super Raya Productions' Ultraman franchise, Ultra Seven would offer a more thoughtful, adult approach than its predecessors while still delivering the action and giant monsters that fans of Ultra Q and Ultraman have come to expect. Available for the first time in high definition, enjoy the visual effects the Subaraya team is known for across the galaxy. So the film is a ten is is a Blu-ray. It's in one three three one um, aspect ratio. It's got a Japanese audio two point soundtrack, but with English subtitles. No special features. So, as I said, I reviewed Ultra Q, which I loved because it was kind of like the Twilight Zone with giant monsters and Ultraman, which I also really loved because I'm, I'm a fucker. I'm, I'm a fucker. <laughs> I'm a sucker for Kaiju films. Um, I talked about it when we, when I watched Ultraman that I, I still gave the, the color cinematography a good grade when I talked about Ultraman, but it felt very lacking compared to that to Ultra Q. And I couldn't explain why, but it was, you know, I was thinking of Super Eye's first production in color. Um, I've done a little bit of reading. It turns out it could be something to do with the transfer of the the product itself. Uh, I've not been able to find out if this if Mill Creek did the transfer for this or if they're getting it for someone. But I will say, as soon as I loaded up Ultra Seven, I was blown the fuck away by how good it looked. This is the it's colorful, it's beautiful. It's got nice inky crimson. Uh, it's got nice inky black levels on it, um, and I just found my. It's a treat for your eyes. Um, sound quality is pretty good. I think Ultra Q still has the best sound mix. Um, a little bummed that, you know, there's not a, um, surround sound mix, but there's probably, one doesn't exist probably. Um, and, um, I had always heard that Ultraman was brought over to the United States with a dub, not saying that I prefer, uh, dubbed stuff, but sometimes late at night, I would love there to be a dub option so I can say, watch that and not have to focus as much on subtitles, but that's beside the point. I really liked um, Ultra Seven, because as the back of the box said, the uh, more adult approach. My biggest complaint with Ultra Man is sometimes I felt it was a little too kiddy, and some of it could be the fact that I just um, I don't always feel like I resonate very well with Japanese humor, and some of it could be um, the fact that I don't really watch a whole lot of anime. I know that's not necessarily a prerequisite or anything like that, but since I'm not really 
in that world, I feel like some of the humor is lost on me. I've talked to a friend of mine, Stephen, who who thinks that could be part of it. Because, like, in, in one of the early episodes of Ultraman, there's a character who stubs his toe and he does the whole thing where he grabs his foot and hops on one, hops on his good foot and is blowing on the bad foot and is, like, freaking out and just making a lot of sound. And I'm sure it's supposed to be funny. I just, uh, it just didn't resonate personally with me. So, um, but, so for that reason, I found myself really liking this. Um, I will say the opening theme is cringeworthy. I'll probably play a little bit of it for you. Oh, also, I guess I should mention real quick, there will be no trailers for Ultra 7 or two the, the two Ultraman series because there are none to play. Maybe I'll play a little bit of the trailer. Uh, not trailer. Uh, maybe I'll play a little bit of the theme song because it's grown-worthy. Or I may, actually, you know what? I'm going to go out on that. That's what this episode's going to end with. No, no, actually, screw that. This episode's going to end with the opening theme from Unmasked Part 25 because that theme is fucking cool. I'm, but right here, right now, I'm going to play a little bit of the Ultraman theme for Ultra 7 theme for you, and you can tell me whether or not it's annoying or not. that's kind of a um i love the first episode of well actually i wouldn't say i love it but i like the approach of this where the first episode had this narrator who was who was introducing us to the ultra guard the ultra guard is kind of like the sssp of this season which was the uh, inter was the um for lack of a term like kind of alien defense force in the last in ultraman the ultra guard and the narrator's kind of introducing us to all the characters. We get to see them in their natural habitats, working out. And it kind of gives us an idea of who the, all these people are. Uh, because sometimes with these shows, it's it's very easy to um, lack on character development and story because of how much you have to do... Because um, of all the, the, the giant robot. So not giant robot, but the, all the kaiju fighting. Um and the lead character kind of comes out of nowhere. We learn more about him as the show goes on. Uh, what was his name again? I'm sorry. Um, Dan Moroboshi. We find out that he is a, a name that Ultra 7 has taken. Um, but I, I like the more handheld camera approach to it. I like that it's all very dire, like Ultra Q. Um, I love the use of snap zooms. It's just snap zoom after snap zoom. And to me, it feels very much like it's influenced off of Star Trek. Um, whereas, you know, there's a lot less comedy. There still is some, which I, I'm not opposed to comedy at all, but I, I like that there's a, um, I'm trying to explain how I mean it, but, you know, we get to see the Ultra Guard in their bases more. Um, they're talking that when a monster does come, we get to see, it's almost kind of like a courtroom drama sometimes. It's not that it's not that stoic or anything, but they talk about um, the issues like, oh, shit, how are we going to handle this 
the this monster that just popped up or are we trying to figure out who's causing something and there's a little bit more mystery to it there's a little bit more uh, procedural to it I, I don't know i just found myself enjoying it a little bit more um and but the first episode is super weird because like ultra seven doesn't even show up until the last five minutes and it just feels like he shows up and gets shit done and leaves which is kind of how all the episodes do i feel like my biggest problem with a lot of the ultraman stuff so far is the pacing is very weird where they're trying to fit a lot of story into a 25 minute episode and it's always like oh shit at the end we have to get ultraman or ultra seven and we'll have him come save the day and it's sometimes it feels like an afterthought i know it's because they only have so much time that being said i don't think a show like this would work as an hour format i'd love to be proven wrong but um i feel like especially in the 60s they're still trying to figure out the format you know giant monsters and tv was still kind of was kind of a new thing so um but no i found myself really loving ultraman and then next i'm gonna be kind of oh well first let me talk about ultraman i got the steel book which is fucking gorgeous it comes in both a standard edition and a steel book mill creek is going out of their way with this packaging high quality packaging it also comes with a fantastic book that not only explains the production history of the show, who the characters are, Ultraman's powers, an episode guide, and even all of his powers. So there's a lot of cool stuff inside this book. It's fantastic. The next two, I'm going to talk about as a tandem because they are a sequential show. I like this because then you, you've got something you can watch in order. So it's, it's the releases of Ultraman Orb and Ultraman Geed. And it comes with both not only the series, but the movie. So I'm only going to read the back of one box because they kind of play into each other. So Ultraman Orb. Awaken, Warrior of Light. Naomi is at the same strange, same strange dream since she was young. Visions of a, gi- of a giant of light battling a giant monster. With her interests sparked by those dreams, she starts the paranormal phenomena tracking website called SSP with her friends Jetta and Shin. One day, the trio, trio is on the trip. The trio is on the tail of a mysterious animal suspected of causing strange meteorological activity. They encounter the cyclone lord monster Megabasser. Naomi is blasted is blasted vicious winds, but rescued by the vagabond Guy Kiernai? By using his orb ring, Guy is able to fusion up into a warrior of light from the distant galaxy Ultraman Orb. So what I like, what I've been liking so much about Ultraman Orb and Geed is that it's a sequential story. It's it, it, it's continuous from episode to episode, which to an extent Ultraman, Ultra Q, and Ultra Seven are, but it's very much a Monster of the Week type show, very much like Power Rangers was, where there is a little bit of a an arc, but not a whole lot, where you have the same characters every week and they're always having a different adventure. This is this definitely is a monster of the week type show where there's always something a different creature or something else attacking the world. But from episode you can't really watch these out of order. Episode to episode um Naomi and the SSP, the something strange patrol, I think is what their name is or something weird like that. They are finding out more about Ultraman Orb, who this mysterious stranger guy is or yeah, guy, G A I, guy, I think. Um and are trying to figure out what's going on. And because of that, um, it makes it very easy to watch or to binge. Whereas for me, for Ultraman and Ultra 7 are like, mm-mm-mm, like a little snack that I give myself every day. Same thing how I watch The Rifleman, where it's like, oh, here's a standalone adventure. I can watch it. I can enjoy it. I can feel satiated. Ultraman Orb, um, while it's not my favorite in terms of... It, uh, 
I'll explain that in a second. It's not necessary that I like the production style anymore, uh, but I find the story very easy to eat up and to grasp. And I also think it's also... Um, it could be a lot of fun for people who want to get into the Ultraman world, but don't necessarily like the look and aesthetic of the the old kaiju stuff. Uh, because this is definitely a modern shot. The cinematography is really good. It's 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 digital cinematography, so it kind of loses some of that element that the old Ultraman has because that's shot on film. But it's always it's very well shot. It's very well lit. The acting is pretty good, I guess. Um, I don't really have a whole lot to compare it off of. Uh, the CGI is a bit cringy. That's I think the heart the thing that's hardest for me to enjoy about this is the CGI. Uh, but all when we do it, we still get a lot of people in costumes, a lot of monsters fighting, and that all looks fantastic. Uh, I found myself really, really enjoying um, the Ultraman Orb and Ultraman Geed world. Um, and it's also great, too, because because they they kind of give you information every single episode. While you're very confused at the beginning of, of who Ultraman Orb is and how he fits into the Ultraman world and why Guy can turn into so many different Ultramen, they kind of start explaining it as it goes on, and it become, makes more sense. So from a storytelling aspect, these are fantastic. Um, packaging, while really nice, comes with a nice slipcover, is not nearly as nice as the, the, the standalone three Ultra Q, Ultraman, and Ultra 7 releases. It com- they comes with an episode guide booklet, still not as nice put together as the old, the old stuff. These are from t- 2016. They were put out to mark the, the anniversary of Ultra 7. Um, still really fucking good though. I really think these are, are great releases and I'm not finished with them yet, but I'm legitimately excited to, to finish them up. Um, so that's my episode for this week, guys. Um, yeah, go out and buy some Ultraman. It's, I guess, and it's not that I'm, a, I'm against Japanese culture. That's not it. Cause I love samurai films. I love Kung Fu films. I love Kaiju stuff. Uh, but sometimes the humor can, is a little lost on me because of, I don't love anime, but I find myself liking this more and more, and while you know I'm already obsessed with music, pro wrestling, and movies, I don't think I can necessarily fit another thing in my life. It's made me appreciate some of the anime that I wouldn't didn't give the light that didn't give the time of day before. Um, so I don't know if I know if I'm ever going to become like an obsessive anime dude like some of my friends are. Nothing against it, nothing against it at all. Um, I find myself appreciating it a lot more and thinking that these releases are are incredibly stellar and. I feel like if you are not only a fan of anime, but a fan of the kaiju world, these are must-owns. Um, I personally lean a little bit more towards the old-school stuff in terms of aesthetics, but I think the storytelling is so good in Ultraman Orb and Ultraman Geed. So that's it, guys. I got to finish up. I got to take the dogs out for a walk, and I got to head to work. I'm a working man. But hey, if you want to hear more podcasts, throw me a couple bucks at Patreon. The more money I make make doing the podcast, the less I have to go to work, and the more content y'all is going to get. So, thank you guys for listening. Like I said, uh, the main show is here every other week. Uh, when this comes out, we may or may not be on break, but season four, we've got some great things planned. Um, I love you all. Thank you very much. We're everywhere you can listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play, Libsyn, Stitcher, and if you want us somewhere else, just let me know. I love movies, you love movies, and if you're not down, I got, and if you're not down with that, I got two words for you. Watch movies.
The Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and Easton, Maryland, is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Viers, and is more often than not edited by Michael Viers. Any TV or YouTube versions of the show to date have been edited by Nick Richards, Tyler Hanna, or Dina Volani. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals, with narration from Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10 Speed, and our new kick-ass logo was designed by Amanda Byers. A special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors at Mill Creek Entertainment and Vinegar Syndrome. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links to all these tremendous folks, as well as the show, in the description below. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe.